Good morning. Welcome to Gospel City Church. So glad that you made it today. And happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. And uh, I'm excited that you're here today. We're jumping back into the book of Ephesians. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we've made it to kind of the final stretch And we're starting a new series today, a series that we'll be in for the next six weeks. It's called Armor Up, and it all ties back to our ministry year theme that we talked about back in September when we began the book of Ephesians. Does anybody remember what the ministry year theme was? Go ahead, yell it out. Anybody? Be strong in the Lord. I heard it over here. That's right. Somebody, somebody was paying attention. And you've probably been wondering, we're going to talk about why it took us all year to get to be strong in the Lord. If it's a year theme, why haven't we been talking about it every week? I'm going to show it to you today in God's word. But crowd participation for a moment. I'll say be strong. You say in the Lord. Be strong. In the Lord. Say it with a little gusto on Father's Day. Be strong. In the Lord. One more time. Be strong. And that phrase that you just repeated, in the Lord, that, of course, is the most important phrase in the entire sentence because you are not called as a follower of Jesus to be strong in your own intellect. You're not called to be strong in your own knowledge. You're not called to be strong in your political values. You're not called to be strong in your finances or in your own efforts or works or in your own strength or might or power. You are called to be strong, not in yourself, but in the Lord. And it's really been a main theme throughout the letter that we've been looking at, this foundational letter to the Ephesians that Paul has written. And and remember that the letter was written to those Christians, those faithful saints in the city of Ephesus, and all throughout the book, we see that they are in Christ. And uh, we've seen that phrase, in Christ, over 40 times in the book of Ephesians. And I've said to you over and over and over again that in Christ is the most important position you could ever find yourself in this side of eternity. Most important position you could ever find yourself in this side of eternity. And we've learned in the book that if you are not in Christ, then you are dead in the trespasses and sins. So if we've learned anything from the book of Ephesians over the last nine months or so, we've learned that there are two positions in this life, two kinds of people in this world. Those who are alive in Christ and those who are dead in in their trespasses and sins. So there's two kinds of people here at Gospel City Church today. Yes, I believe that church is for believers. Yes, I believe that God is speaking to believers through his word, but I am not naive enough to think um, that in a church this size, there are some people here who desperately need to be made alive in Christ. So you are either alive in Christ or you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. And so today at church on Father's Day, 2023, it is a great day to take inventory of your life, to see whether or not you've been made alive in Christ. Have you surrendered to the lordship and the majesty of Jesus Christ, the perfect king? If so, praise God, you can lift him higher and higher as you exalt him with your life. If not, then you desperately need to repent and believe and follow Jesus Christ. But position 
is of utmost importance in this world. Uh, I was reading about positional advantage this week, and uh, maybe it's a term you've heard regarding chess. I'm not a chess player. Mike Nysus is a chess player. He's got a chess board in his office. But if you have positional advantage in chess, you kind of have control of the board, right, Mike? Is that correct? And uh, kung fu or, or, or karate, all of that, there's positional advantage as well. You always want your strong side to be facing the weak side of your opponent. If, if you have that, you have positional advantage. Position matters so much, but in, in the Christian life, you have so much more than even positional advantage. You have positional invincibility if you are in Christ. So the message I want to preach to you today is called this, Positional Invincibility for a Cosmic War. And the big idea that I want to drill down on as we start to embark into this armor of God section in Ephesians, the big idea is this, the believer's position in Christ makes them invincible in their warfare against the enemy. The believer's position in Christ makes them invincible in their warfare against the enemy. And you might say, well, I don't feel very invincible. And you might say, well, I feel like I give in all the time or I feel like I'm constantly losing the battle. And that is not the Lord that is in you. That is your own human flesh that this side of heaven will always oppose the spirit of God that is within you. But let me remind you that if you are a believer, you're not just facing the rhythmic realities or the hard circumstances and happenstances of this life, you are in a war. And you're like, I'm not cut out for war. I don't really like war. Tough. You are in a war. And when God saved you and made you alive, and when he put you in Christ, his beloved son, the enemy put crosshairs on your back. And what we're learning in Ephesians chapter 6 over the next several weeks is that uh, you do not wrestle against mere flesh and blood. You are in a battle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces that are in the heavenly places. If you are in Christ today, you are in a spiritual battle. The battle is real. And the enemy seeks to kill and destroy your life. And the leaders of the spiritual realm are who the book of Ephesians refers to in the Greek as diabolos, which translates to false accuser or slanderer. The enemy that opposes you and his army is none other than Satan himself. And he led a third of the angels into a rebellion against God. And from Genesis chapter 3 until Revelation chapter 12, all throughout the Bible and in the days that you are living in, Satan is waging war against God. And he seeks to destroy your life. And he seeks to slander you and accuse you before the throne of God. The battle is very real And you've been enlisted in it if you are in Christ. But again, position is everything. Position is of utmost importance. And what I want you to see today is that if you've already been positioned with advantage, if you've already been positioned in Christ, then you have everything that you need to overcome the devil and his schemes. You just need to simply live into it because the believer's position in Christ should make them invincible in their warfare. 
So here's what I want to do as we begin this section. We're only going to look at kind of the first verse 10 today, verse 10 and 11 maybe. Uh, But I want you to read together with me verses 10 all the way through 20. And just to kind of get a context of where we're going over the next six weeks as we lean into Paul's section dealing with our warfare in Christ. So I want to read it aloud together. The body of Christ, this is our battle cry. So I want you to lift up your voice. It's on the screen in the ESV version. So if you have an ESV Bible, you can just read it from your Bible. If you don't have an ESV, why don't you read it from the screen so that you can participate with us. But let's lift our voice and hear the word of the Lord together. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Satan doesn't like that. The people of God reading the word of God aloud together. And this is God's word for us over the next season. Now, a couple things that I want you to note as you kind of see uh, that section of scripture, some things that we see, the order that we see it. We see our leader and our position first. That's what we're going to focus on today. Our position in Christ as we follow Jesus Christ, who is our leader. Then we also see our enemy. And so next week, we're going to talk about our very real enemy, who is a powerful enemy, and yet he's powerless to those who are in Christ. And we're going to also look at our weapons. Uh, And you saw the weapons mentioned. We'll take a couple weeks to uh, apply those weapons to our lifestyle and our warfare in Jesus. Then we see our mission. And then finally, we see our rest in the grace and peace that only comes from the triune God of glory who adopts us, who redeems us, and who seals us for his grace. Okay, now I want to give you three facts about the armor as we kind of begin this section. It'll kind of help your framework and your mindset as we jump in, okay? So three facts about the armor. The first is this. This is God's armor, all right? This is not your armor. Uh, Everybody doesn't get their own set of armor as you begin to dress up in it. Uh, This week, if you spend some time devotionally, I would encourage you to go to Isaiah chapter 59 
and, and, and read this prophetic book in the Old Testament and you will see uh, the pieces of the armor mentioned. Isaiah 59 paints a picture of a world that is ruled and controlled by evil and oppression. Sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like our nation and some of the things that are coming against us. Isaiah 59.9 says this, Therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. And so Isaiah's painting in Isaiah 59 a day whenever sin seems so rampant and, and light seems so distant that the people were walking in great darkness. And then it moves to describe God as a warrior displeased with the lack of justice and righteousness in the world. So in Isaiah 59, we see the elements of the armor. Only they are worn by God himself as he comes to repay wrath to his adversaries. So I want you to understand this as we step into this section. God wears the armor. And Christ wore the armor. And his armor of invincible victory has been given to you if you are a believer. And Christ has passed down his armor to you. And with it, you are invincible against the enemy. I'm excited to look into that more. So you're probably saying, do I need to put on the armor every day? Or is it just imputed to me now? Yes, is the answer. God's given you his armor, and he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But every day, just as you put off the old and put on the new, you need to clothe yourself for battle in God's mighty armor. Now, point number two is this. Prayer is essential to the armor. Prayer is essential to the army. You noticed in verse 18, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So there's a few places in the Bible that tell us to pray without ceasing. This is one of them. And we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines surrounding prayer the last few weeks and a distinctive of our church is that we would be a people of unceasing, passionate prayer. We want to believe firmly in its power, but we don't want to just say that we pray. We want to stop and we want to pray in everything, for everyone, in every meeting that we have because prayer is essential and prayer keeps us devoted on God who is our champion. So prayer must be the engine to our ministry at Gospel City, but it must be the engine to your warfare as a believer. One of my favorite things about last week, Vacation Bible School. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of hype. Yeah, there was a lot of yelling and shouting, but in, the, in a back room, a nursing mom's room, uh, our senior adults and, and some pastors and some elders, they gathered every night from about seven to eight o'clock and they just bathed this place in prayer. That's the boiler room. That's the engine room to Vacation Bible School. That's why God's moving in and among us because if we will be a people dependent upon God, he will come and fight for us. So prayer has to be the engine. I wanna give you uh, this prayer guide if you got one of these coming in, hopefully you did, but something that we worked out for this series over the next six weeks, and I couldn't encourage you enough to read this every day and to pray each day along with the different pieces of the armor of God. This will help you pray without ceasing for the warfare that is in front of you. And so if we're gonna be a people of prayer, let's get intentional with it. And so each day of the week, there's a prayer guide for you and you can do that over the next month or so or throughout the summer. But prayer needs to drive us into our warfare. 
And then finally, number three, three facts about the armor. This is the third. It's a metaphor to help us understand and remember the truths about Ephesians. So yes, it's God's armor. Yes, it's pulled from the Old Testament. Yes, prayer is essential to it. I can't wait to talk about that when we get there. But it's also just a metaphor as Paul comes to a conclusion of his letter to help us understand everything that he's already said in the book of Ephesians. And as Paul shifts to talk about our warfare in Christ, we need to understand that everything preceding it is necessary for our ability to fight from a position of invincibility, to dress in our armor every day, and to stand firm in the power that has already been imputed to us. So you're probably wondering, and I've already said it, you you may have wondered, why did it take so long to get to be strong in the Lord in a year that we've called Be Strong in the Lord? Why is that our theme? Why did it take till now to get there? And I'll tell you what, like a year ago, I remember praying about what we might do as a church and God put the armor of God in my heart and on my life. And honestly, it's been one of the most prayed passages of scripture in my life over the last year and a half. And I was really pumped to preach the armor of God. And I thought, I'm going to come out of the gate in September of 2022 and preach the armor of God. And then we decided, no, wait, there's a lot of important things in the book of Ephesians. Let's slow down and let's preach the book of Ephesians. And then we'll get to Paul's description of the armor of God. And even Paul, he makes it seem like that's what he wanted to communicate all this time, and yet it took six chapters of doctrine and conduct in order to get here. And that's why when we get to verse 10 in, verse, in, in chapter 6, look at it. Paul writes, finally. And I don't think that's because he's just long-winded. I don't think it's just because he has long run-on sentences all throughout the book. Paul says, finally. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So the reason that it's taken this long is because, here's the first thing, many of us try to fight the war before we understand our wealth in Christ. Uh, If you remember chapters one through three in the book of Ephesians were helping us understand our wealth in Christ. Once you've been placed in that position, you're now rich with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then chapters four and five are helping us with our walk and our conduct. So you're not just claiming that you're going to follow Christ, but now you're going to walk worthy. And then chapter 6, we get to our warfare. But many of us wake up and we don't claim what is already true of those who are in Christ because we don't know what is true of those who are in Christ. And the enemy, Satan, he simply wants us to be thinking every day that we are worthless Satan wants you to think that you're an absolute failure of a person, especially a Christian. Satan wants you to think that you're incapable of overcoming your vices. Satan wants you to think that you're unforgivable for your sin or that you're not good enough or that you're defined by all of your mistakes. And if the enemy can get you to forget your wealth in Christ, he can make you feel like you're losing a war that you have already won and that he has already lost. So Paul writes, finally, because he's done due diligence in helping these believers understand, meditate on, and claim their massive wealth that only comes through the doctrines of grace that put them in Christ Jesus. And you think of everything that Paul has said to the Ephesians. You were dead 
in your trespasses and sins, but now you're made alive in Christ. They were fatherless, but now they're adopted as children of God. They were separated by sin, but now they've been redeemed and forgiven by the grace of Christ. They were destined for hell. Now they are sealed for eternal glory. They were scattered in hostility, but now they are one with Christ. And God was able to do all of this and so much more according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So the doctrine of our wealth in Christ is of utmost importance to our warfare for Christ. Don't put the cart before the horse. Remember every single day who Jesus says you are if you're in him. But another reason it's taken this long to get to this point is because our walking as holy called faithful individuals is important to our warfare. You remember that chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians said, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. And then Ephesians 5, 1 says that if you're a believer, be imitators of God as beloved children. But often, listen, we take ourselves out of the battle by allowing the futility of our minds to dress us in our old worldly clothes rather than our new spiritual armor. And that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to walk worthy of your calling. He wants you to look like an absolute fool until you give up on your faith in God altogether. It's why America looks so foolish as a nation that claims to be one nation under God. We want to claim the wealth of being in Christ, but we don't care so much about the conduct or the obedience or following what the Lord says. So we're a nation that claims to be one nation under God, but we're a nation that hasn't valued the sanctity of life throughout history. And it's so sad. We're a nation that glorifies pride in ourselves. You've probably noticed we're living in a generation where in America, this month is called Pride Month. And, uh, you know what, pride got Satan kicked out of heaven. And anytime we are glorifying anything in ourselves or what we think about ourselves or what we should be, we are on the wrong side of the battle. And Satan is glorified in it. We're in a nation that entertains and pacifies itself with digital media and devices that glorify sin and self-righteousness. And all of it is born of Satan aiming to get you to not walk worthy of your calling so that you're not even a threat to the warfare that's going on. So when we're not walking in a manner worthy of our calling, when we're not imitating God, when we're not reflecting the wealth of Christ that has changed us, you're no threat to Satan and his army so they can simply sit back and watch you defame the name of Christ through your own sinful living and nothing brings Satan more joy than this and nothing takes you out of the battle more than this. And so it's taken Paul these five rich chapters of doctrine and holy conduct and living to get to this incredibly important statement in verse 10 and 11. Finally, be strong, not in yourself, but in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you're not commanded in scripture to be strong in your own strength, 
be strong in your own power or intellect. You are commanded, every person here, doesn't matter how strong you actually are by the world's standards, you are commanded to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So the warfare of every believer is one of giving up control. It's one of dependence on God, not independence. And that doesn't come natural to us. We wake up with what we bring to the table and we want to claim that we can win the victory. We want to come and do the best that we can. We want to power up and get out of the hard situation. And yet giving up control, being strong in the Lord is one of boasting in our weaknesses because of the surpassing power of Christ that exudes from humbled, surrendered servants of Jesus. And all of that, it goes against our sinful human bent as humans who in a broken world. Uh, you probably tend to say, God, I, don't, I, don't, I look at what I bring to the table. I don't have what it takes to live for you. God, why would you pick me? Why would you choose me? Why would you call me to handle this? I don't have what it takes. And you, you get real down on yourself. Some of us probably bring our pride to the table, or we have. And so we think, God, look at what I bring to the table. I got this on my own. And then you've learned in life that pride comes before a fall. So very quickly, you can get humbled. Satan will humble you. God will humble you very quickly if you are living in your own strength. But then you, you, you can't just take the opposite disposition where you constantly look down on yourself and think God shouldn't have chose me. I have measly gifts. I don't have what it takes to be a Christian and to live up. I don't have what it takes to do what God's asked me to do. That is not the demeanor of someone who has the wealth of heaven living and residing within them. But you probably do have a lot of things that feel daunting in your life right now. Maybe you're trying to lead your children to the Lord. I talk to different parents who feel the weight of protecting their children from an ev the evil of a broken, sin-obsessed world. That's hard. That's a real weight. That's something that you probably feel insufficient for at times. Maybe you're trying to go against the grain in a massive high school or, or public school setting or in a workplace. Everyone's doing one thing and yet you're trying to walk the other direction and live for Christ. You're trying to walk out your salvation. You're trying to be an imitator of God in a broken world. Maybe you're facing the death of a loved one right now or you're caring for a loved one in their sickness and you're like, God, I want to I wanna use this moment to show them Jesus and I want to be humble and I want to clear my calendar and all the things are overwhelming me and I just feel like I don't have what it takes. Maybe it's simply waiting on the Lord to meet a deep desire in your heart. Some of you have waited and waited, trusted God. You continue to trust God. Sometimes you feel like you want to give up. And, and loved ones, I, I want you to hear this this morning. In your strength, you do not have what it takes for any of the things that this life will present to you. But in Christ, you have everything you need. And in Christ, you are joined to a body of believers, so you are not alone. That's the beauty of the book of Ephesians. Yes, you've been saved and placed in Christ and given everything you need to win the battle, but you're also joined to a body of believers who can help you when you feel weak. 
And so, so we tend, you tend to look at what you bring to the table, but God says, stop focusing on what you bring to the table and focus on what I already did for you and promised to do through you. It's all in his word. It's all in the book of Ephesians. And God has always fought for his people and God has always given victory to his people in unlikely ways. And that's because the strength resides in him and not in the people. So let me give you a couple examples from the Old Testament. I was reflecting on some of these uh, this week. I'm sure you're familiar with some of them, but what you need to see is that from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time that God created the heavens and the earth and God began to establish a people who would bring forth Christ and who he would claim as his own generation and build them up into a new humanity, the command has always been to be strong in the Lord. So in Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites had just fled from Egypt and the Egyptians are pursuing them. And so they were in captivity with the Egyptians for 430 years. And the Egyptians, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster. And the Israelites had just gotten out after the 10th plague. They're heading toward the sea. The Egyptians are coming. The only rational thing that the Israelites could have done was say, we're going to have to fight to the death. And we're going to go back into captivity with the Egyptians. But in Exodus chapter 14, 13 through 14, Moses said this to his people. Fear not. Okay, Moses. Stand firm. Uh, the, the, The Egyptians are coming. We've been captivity for 430 years, Moses says. And see the salvation of the Lord. Because when God saves, he saves in an instance. He's always on time. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right where he needs to be. And he was going to work salvation for the people of Israel that day. And look what it says. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. What an amazing verse. The Lord will fight for you And you have only to be silent. What an unlikely path to victory. And yet how many of you here today are fighting some battles and you know that you need to give up control and just simply be silent and wait on the Lord? How many of you are trying to do some things in your own strength? You're trying to power up against the enemy and you simply need to wait on the Lord who is mighty to save and close your mouth And trust that the Lord your God will go before you and the Lord will do the fighting. Another example, Joshua. He took over for Moses. That in itself would have been a very daunting task. No doubt Joseph, or Joshua, sorry, he looked down on himself as he looked up to Moses. But in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 it says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua maybe wasn't as dynamic of a leader as Moses, maybe wouldn't be as powerful as Moses, at least he thought those things, and yet he didn't have to fear. He could be strong and courageous because it was the Lord that would go with him. And God proved it in the most unlikely way as he leads the Israelites into battle of Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, it says this, the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. That's what the Lord does. God gives us our victories with its king and its mighty men of valor. So Jericho was no small fish to fry. And he says, you shall march around the city. Say, what? 
And then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. What an unlikely way to victory. If, if, if Joshua would have rose up in his own strength, he would have powered up his army, he would have busted through the wall, and they probably would have lost, but all they had to do was worship Jesus. All they had to do was obey God and march around the city and shout for joy, and God brought the walls down. And the examples go on and on all throughout the Old Testament. God's people defeating their enemies in unlikely ways through the power that only comes from God. And so whether it was David defeating a giant with a slingshot or the sun standing still so that the Israelites could defeat the Amorites or Gideon's army being reduced to 300 men who defeated the enemy or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into a fiery furnace and never being burned. One thing has proven true throughout history. Those who are with God are positioned for victory. Those who are with God have positional invincibility. Jehovah Nisi will fight your battles. Yahweh gives you positional advantage and with the God of glory, you have positional invincibility and it's not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And what we have to understand today in the 21st century, as we've gathered together to worship Christ, all of those examples are from the Old Testament. We cannot forget the most unlikely victory in all of history, for it was in seeming defeat that eternal victory was won over sin and death once and for all who would believe. And the greatest example of being strong in the Lord came from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was God's perfect son, fully God, fully man, and if anyone could have stood in their own strength, if anyone could have fought his own battles, if anyone could have conquered with what he brought to the table, it should have been Jesus, but he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, and he was obedient to the point of death on a cross, and he was crushed for the iniquities and the sins of mankind, your sins and my sins. And he was mocked and he was beaten and he was ridiculed, not only by humanity, but by the rulers of darkness and Satan himself. But as Jesus was laid in a grave, God used his seeming defeat to disarm the devil and steal the enemy's glory forever. Look at Colossians 2.15, it says this. Paul wrote, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In who? In Christ, the most important position you could ever find yourself in this side of heaven. So we know that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God where he is ruling, where he is reigning, where he has all power, where he sees your life. And if the book of Ephesians has taught us anything, it's that true believers are already seated with him in glory. His victory is already your victory. His triumph is already your triumph. His power is already your power. And in his strength, you have what it takes 
to fight the battle in the already but not yet. Through the death of Christ, you can experience the effects of his victory and the believer's position in Christ makes them invincible for their warfare against the enemy so we should settle for nothing less. That's why Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now I wanna give you three kind of practical points. I realized that that was a lot of overview and, and a lot of stuff that's been stored up in my heart over the last year. But it's why Ephesians is so important because the whole book matters if you're going to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And the devil is scheming every single day to get your eyes off of the truth that God says about you and onto the things of this world so that he can get you to feel like a loser. I was at uh, the senior adults picnic last night. It was awesome. You think the VBS thing was a rager? That was awesome. <laughs> Somebody taught my kid croquet, and it was great. I had a really good time. But Chuck, my buddy Chuck, he was there. He's about to turn, he said he was about to turn middle-aged, 80 years old. He said, the devil's been trying to kill me all my life, and Chuck's gone through a lot of stuff. But you know what Chuck said? He said, the devil's a jerk, and he's got no power over me. And I bad talk him all the time as I worship Jesus. And I thought... That's pretty awesome, Chuck. We're going to talk about the devil over the next few weeks. But you need, Chuck knows his wealth in Christ. He knows who he is because of what Jesus said about him. Therefore, he ain't scared of the enemy and anything that the enemy might throw at him this side of heaven. You need to have that same attitude. And we're going to get it over the next several weeks. But the entire book of Ephesians shapes you into a warrior for Christ as you continue to be strong in the Lord. So the first thing I wanna challenge you with is this. Let your wealth bring confidence to your warfare. Believer, let your wealth in Christ, let your position in Christ bring confidence in your warfare. If you're going to allow your wealth in Christ to bring you confidence for the spiritual battle at hand, you must be well acquainted and constantly reminded of what is already true because of your position. Your doctrine has to dictate your fight as a believer. Being in Christ is a doctrinal fact that grants you new, a new stance no longer in bondage and fear of Satan. So I don't know what the enemy's tempting you with today. I don't know what your vices are or what you feel like you give into or where you tend to get down on yourself. Uh, but let me remind you of your positional invincibility as a believer from Ephesians 1. You might be the greatest sinner here today. And that should be an attitude that all of us as believers take. I'm the chief of sinners because as you look at yourself and not somebody else, you realize how far you fall short of the glory of God. So you might be the greatest sinner here today, but God loved you before you loved him so that one day you could love him to the praise of his glorious grace. That's an amazing truth. And so Ephesians 1 told us God chose you if you're a child of God. And God adopts you as his own beloved son or daughter. God redeemed you and God forgave you and God enlightened you with wisdom and God lavishes his great love upon you and God fills you with his spirit 
And God seals you for eternity. And God guarantees an inheritance of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And God exalts you to the highest place to be seated with Christ in heaven. And God fills you with resurrection power here and now for this life, for every battle, in this world, against the enemy. And God has made you positionally perfect before him forever Therefore, you are invincible to Satan and his army. This is why you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But you are going to need to speak these truths over your heart and over your life and over your mind every single day. You have to take every thought captive and remember what God says about you and not the enemy and not this world. You need to pray Paul's prayer from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Do you remember that prayer? Ephesians 1, 15 through 22. After Paul gives that giant sentence in the first chapter of Ephesians where he goes through all of those things about your position in Christ, he says, for this reason, I bow my knee. I do not cease to give thanks to you. And then he prays that the eyes of believers' hearts would be enlightened to three things, to the hope that is in heaven, to your inheritance that is a guarantee in the heavenly places, and to the resurrection power of the Spirit of God that is living in you. The same power that conquered the grave lives inside of you, the believer. And you gotta pray that you'd be reminded of it every day if you're going to stand firm against the schemes of the devil to get you down, to get your focus on lesser things than Christ And so your wealth in Jesus has to fuel your warfare every day as you run into this battle in the already but not yet. So that's the first thing. Let your wealth bring confidence to your warfare. Here's the second one. Let your walk make you dangerous in your warfare. Let your walk make you dangerous in your warfare, the warfare that is at hand. And we talked a lot about this when we went through Ephesians 4 and 5. It's lame whenever we claim the wealth of Christ and don't live like it. It it, it sends a message to a world, oh, they're in Christ, I don't think I need that. And so, yeah, we make mistakes and yeah, we give in to sin and we run back to the throne of grace and his grace pardons us unmerited favor given to the believer that made us alive in Christ and we have to claim that grace every day but our walk matters to a world that is watching. Our walk matters to a world that is rampant with sin. So just as we talked for 15 weeks, don't claim to follow Christ and live like the world. Nothing brings Satan more pleasure than a believer who is held captive by their sin or a believer who is unconcerned with their lifestyle and their holy conduct. And and here's my fear for many believers, okay? My fear for many believers and even in a community like this, in a church this size, my fear is that we blame our sin on Satan and the reality is Satan doesn't have enough power over us to cause us to sin if we are a believer, Satan will tempt you, Satan will lie to you, Satan will absolutely try to deceive you just as he deceived Eve in the garden, but Satan will plot against you, but you can walk in a manner worthy of your calling by resisting his schemes and by obeying the Bible. The world wants to do away with the Bible. This book, 
I talked to some people the other day, don't believe this book is an inerrant book, that Revelation's still open, and so they accept all kinds of revelation, and I thought, well, at some point, you're going to have to claim truth in, in, in one thing, and I believe that the canon is closed and that God has shown it because this is the only way to know that we are walking in a manner worthy of our calling. God said it, I will believe it, and I will live it out. Man, we gotta get back to the basics on that. And that's going to make us believers with conviction, believers with repentance, believers who make right choices and believers who walk the talk, talk walk and not just talk it out. So Satan's only attacks, Satan, hear this, Satan only attacks that which is a threat to him. So if you are choosing to sin or living in ongoing unrepentant sin, you are no threat to Satan and his army. Satan will leave you alone. He's one, one dude and he's got demons, sure, but he don't have time to deal with you if you can't even walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We'll talk about him next week. So you need to walk out your calling and, and that will strengthen you. That will make you dangerous for the battle as you proclaim the name of Jesus and shine your light in the world. So Satan only attacks that which is a threat to him so the believer who is standing firm against the devil and walking in a manner worthy of their calling is a continual reminder that Satan is defeated and that Christ has won. So be being filled with the Spirit of God and give thanks to God in all things and imitate God as his beloved children and let your walk reflect your positional perfection in the face of an already defeated enemy. The way you live is fighting the battle at hand. And then number three this morning is this. Let your worship ignite Christ's power for the warfare. Let your worship ignite Christ's power for the warfare. Being strong in the Lord, I said it already, it's ultimately about dependence. And dependence is ultimately about worship. The truth that you are positionally invincible in Christ should cause you to exalt Christ and let him be magnified in your life. And if you're going to stand firm and be strong in the Lord, then you're going to have to make Christ the chief aim of your life. And you're going to have to consistently and constantly remind yourself of the thrill of following Jesus. And you say, well, it doesn't feel like a thrill. Sometimes I wake up and I just wanna give up on my faith. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing all the right things for God Nothing seems to be going right. Welcome to the battle. Welcome to the war. And guess what? Remind yourself of the thrill of when Jesus Christ encountered your heart. You remember in September when we talked about be strong in the Lord, I took you to Revelation chapter two. And, and God, Jesus was walking among the lampstands of the early churches. Ephesus was one of them. And Ephesus had a lot of good things going on. I think that a lot of the things that I see in this church, Ephesus had going on in their church. They were convictional. Uh, they, they didn't tolerate sin. They were gonna be serious about their walk with Christ. They were gonna watch out for wolves and those with bad doctrine. And all of those things were great things. But Jesus found one thing against the church at Ephesus. They had lost their first love. They had forgot about love. 
they had forgot about the worship of an almighty savior who came and gave up his life and died on a cross in their place for their sins so that they could be resurrected and so that they could glorify the lamb for all of eternity. We don't wanna lose our first love as a church. Yeah, we want the walk. Yeah, we want the convictions. Yeah, we want the doctrine. Yeah, we wanna deepen all those things, but we wanna be a worshiping church, a church that's bowed down to the Savior who is Christ the Lord, our champion, our victory, the only one able to win the war at hand. We have to be surrendered in our worship. So you can come to church week in and week out and miss it. But can I encourage you, don't miss the adoration of the Lamb of God. When we sing every Sunday, it's not to entertain you. When we sing every Sunday, it's not a spectator sport. When we sing every Sunday, just as Brent led us with the word of God today up the hill of the Lord, we're trying to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto a Savior who's seated on his throne and who is worthy to be praised. That is how we fight the battles of this life. You know how God, God always was, was fighting battles and winning our wars in unlikely ways. You wanna win the war at hand, it probably looks like something like this. Get down on your knees, lift your head to the hills where your help comes from. Lift high the name of Jesus with boldness and with passion in spirit and in truth because Christ is looking for worshipers who do that in this life and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. Let's pray together. Lord, we come, we exalt you to the highest place. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us on our own. We thank you that your spirit is within us and that you, a triune God, have been fighting for us from the beginning of time. You knew sin would come into the world, but it stood no chance for your plan. You sent your son into the world at the right time to die a death he didn't deserve, to beat death in the grave, and he is seated on high at the right hand of God, and your spirit has filled us, and your spirit has united us together, and Lord, we are an army because of what you've done. And so, Lord, we put our hope in you, we put our trust in you, and we magnify you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Lord, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I don't know what battle they're facing today. I don't know what the enemy is, is tempting them to believe about themselves. I don't know what they've done, Lord, or what they bring to the table. But I know that if they are in Christ, they are a new creation. And the old is gone and the new has come. And so Lord, help us not to forget the benefits of those who are in Christ. You heal all our diseases. You forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future. You give us all that we need to overcome in this life so we can be strong in you and in the strength that you alone provide. That is where we will claim our boast. That is where we will worship from. And so Lord, in this battle, we sing this out. 